0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Australian Rotary Health podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. I'm Jessica Cooper, and on our 32nd episode, we will be having a chat with Dr. Alana Fisher from the University of Sydney. Australian Rotary Health awarded Alana's colleague, Professor Ilona Juriskova a mental health research grant from 2017 to 2018 for the project Enhancing Treatment Decision-Making in Bipolar II Disorder, evaluation of an online decision aid for young adults. Under Ilona's mentorship, Alana led this research project, which built on her work in her PhD in psychology, which she completed in 2018. Alana has since joined the Matilda Centre as a postdoctoral research fellow, where she has developed a a decision aid for people with co-occurring depression and risk alcohol use who are deciding on treatment. So it's really great to have you on our podcast today, Alana. How has the year been treating you so far? uh so so far so good yeah i've just um started a new job this week so as we all mentioned before so yeah i'm t- tackling on some new projects as well yeah so so where are you based now because that uh, yeah I had certain- uh, so as of um this monday
1: i'm now at the e-center clinic which falls under the MindSpot banner and they're based at macquarie university So they uh, basically deliver um, tests and deliver uh, digital mental health services.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. I hope it goes well for you. Thank you. (laughs) So it certainly sounds like this would have been a very interesting and exciting project to be doing a PhD on. Um, I guess, can you tell me where the idea came from to develop an online decision aid for young adults with bipolar 2 disorder? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So... Before starting my PhD, I actually worked as a research assistant for a loaner. Um, and when I was working for a loaner, I was working on trials of decision aids uh, to encourage shared decision-making about treatment for people with cancer. So including breast cancer and um, ovarian cancer, prostate cancer, And so with my background in psychology, I could see that there was a need to facilitate shared decision-making through the use of decision aids for people with mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason why I guess bipolar two stuck out to me was there were already decision aids at that time for depression and for schizophrenia. Um, And I guess compared to bipolar one, bipolar two has much more limited evidence um, to support the different treatment options. Um, And so decisions about treatment can be more finely balanced in terms of what are the potential benefits versus what are the potential drawbacks or side effects of the different options. Um, And I think Another thing to consider too is that um, what was coming out in some of the initial work that we did was that people are quite um, can be quite uninformed about the different side effects of medications in particular. So mm. things like lethargy or weight gain or brain fog. Um, and then some people might also have unrealistic expectations that once they're well, they no longer actually need to be taking their medications anymore. And so these often turn out to be the main reasons why people stop taking their medication. So I guess really from all of that, I could see that there was a need for people to be informed um, about about symptoms um, and about potential side effects, um, and also to actually consider the treatment options, um, not only based on the evidence that's available, but also consider Um, their values, what's important to them um, and what matters to them. So it was really out of this um, that a uh, a decision for an online, that for a
0: decision aid sort of came to be really. Mm, Yeah, it certainly sounds like it would be very helpful for people who are experiencing bipolar 2. And I guess if someone was experiencing bipolar 2 disorder and they wanted to look at something like this, you know, what could they expect from using this online decision aid?
1: Yeah, um, so I guess when people do open the website, um, I guess the the standout things are that it provides clear and easy to understand information um, that is based on evidence and is not biased or directional in any way, and it presents the first choice medication and psychological treatment options for bipolar 2 disorder. So Mm -hmm. the options that it presents are based on uh, current clinical guidelines for bipolar disorder, um, as well as up-to-date and high-quality evidence from uh, systematic reviews and meta-analyses. So Um, Another important thing is as well as using um, clear and easy to understand information, uh, we also include graphics um, and we've made sure to have everything in plain English. So we've cut out the jargon as much as possible, but we have also included um, a glossary where needed um, for specific medication terms and things like that. So, um, and the other thing is, is as this was a resource for young people, Uh, We included a number of uh, modules which covered topics that might be of particular use to young people, so um, particularly people, um, young people when they're newly diagnosed. So some of the topics that we included were, um, I guess, managing um, uh, relationships romantically and with friends, um, strategies for keeping well, um, how to form independence in making decisions about your treatment, um, and uh, possible interactions between say prescription medication as well as the use of alcohol or other drugs Um, so I think as I mentioned earlier um, one important aspect was that the information is unbiased and it's not directional so it doesn't seek to push people um, towards one particular option or another Um, it really tries to give people um, an awareness of choice. And it points out that based on the current evidence, there is no single best choice available, but rather that um, uh, the right choice for you is based on an understanding of um, the best available evidence, being properly informed and considering um, what is important to you and what your preferences are. So, um, and I guess one other, Uh, important um, sort of tool, which is included in the website too. Um, And really what I think differentiates it from um, plain uh, patient information about treatment is that it includes what are called uh, uh, values clarification exercises. Uh, So within the website, these are presented as interactive weight scales and it really gets people to weigh up the pros and the cons of the positive and the negative features of the different treatment options available um and so that people can see which option or options they might be leaning towards um and so i guess in this way it provides some structured guidance um in terms of um, people being able to make a choice that's based on their informed preferences for treatment yeah
0: Mm. Yeah, that sounds like it would be really helpful. And, you know, rather than being bombarded by information, it sort of gives them a step-by-step guide to kind of get to that end point and, and decide what treatment mm. to, you know, to try. And I guess as well, you know, some treatments wouldn't work for everyone, so, you know, having those different choices, I, I think that yeah. Is, yeah, sounds like it would be really Absolutely. helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, um, I know that, um, yeah, th- this grant from Australian Rotary Health only covered the evalu- the evaluation part of the Decision Aid website. Uh, so I guess it might have been a relatively small part of your PhD overall. Uh, but what did this part of the process involve? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I guess my my PhD focused more on um, actually developing the content and the format of the Decision Aid and then actually piloting this content and format and then that formed the basis of the website itself. So initially what we did was... Um, Uh, We conducted a comprehensive literature review, um, which basically just sought to understand, I guess, the current landscape in terms of what are the sort of um, challenges that people face when they're making decisions about their treatment in mental health. what are their, how involved do they wish to be in their treatment, Um, how involved do they currently feel in making decisions about their treatment, Um, as well as possible strategies for improving patient involvement in decision-making about their treatment, Um, and as well as potential benefits or advantages of actually involving people in making decisions about their treatment. So, um, I guess this review sort of, um, it gave a good synthesis of the evidence that was out there, but it also identified a number of knowledge gaps. Um, and then, so from that, I conducted a series of qualitative interviews with key stakeholders. So with people that had a lived experience of bipolar two disorder, as well as their family members and, uh, treating clinicians. And uh, this sort of, I guess, tried to nut out a little bit more what were, the, um, what were the needs and what were the preferences for decision support and for information for a bipolar 2 population specifically. Um, and then sort of, I guess, based on the findings, both from the review and from the interviews, I then drafted the decision aid content. And um, once we had it drafted that, we consulted um, with an expert working party again, made up of uh, clinicians, family members, and people with bipolar two disorder. And at this point, we also included researchers who had expertise in developing decision aids
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and similar and similar sort of patient resources. Um, and we sort of had a back and forth process. It underwent sort of several rounds of feedback. And then we finally came to a consensus on what the decision aid should actually look like. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, from there, we engaged a uh, graphic designer um, as well as a copy editor to sort of, I guess, sort of make the decision aid look prettier Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also make the language more accessible to users. Um, And then the final stage of my decision aid, which um, the final stage of my PhD rather was um, actually piloting and just working out, was this content acceptable? Um, Was it feasible for people to use? Was it safe for people to use? Um, And then, I guess uh, that was sort of around the point that i received funding (laughs) to actually then build the website so which sort of
0: built on all that work yeah oh it sounds like it was a very big process but a very exciting process as well you know starting the beginning stages developing the website and then eventually you know testing the effectiveness of it so yeah it sounds like it would have been very exciting to do that um could you tell us about some of the key findings um, from that evaluation Mm. Uh, So
1: when we did eventually do the RCT evaluation of the website, um, we initially asked people, obviously, people that did have access to the website, we asked them uh, for their feedback on it and they found that it was easy to use and that it was useful. Um, Almost uniformly people expressed positive attitudes um, towards using the website and said that they would recommend it to others in their situation. Um, And uh, people also, um, importantly too, felt that this was credible um, and trustworthy information that wasn't pushing them in one particular direction or another. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we made comparisons between people who received access to the decision aid versus people that uh, received access only to um, online treatment information that was already available, Um, We found uh, some evidence that using the decision aid actually supports better quality decision making about treatment. So um, we found, for example, that people who had access to the website uh, were more knowledgeable about the available treatment options. Um, They felt more certain about the options that were available to them. Um, And they felt more comfortable making a decision, and they also felt better prepared to actually make a decision with their clinician um, on the basis of having access to this website. So um, another thing, too, was that we then followed up participants three months later um, to see whether any of these effects um, or what the longer term effects of having access to this decision aid might be. And we found that the group who had had access to the decision aid uh, website was still more knowledgeable about the treatment options compared to the control group. Um, And that they also express less regret about the choice that they had made in terms of their treatment, which I guess is um, particularly important in thinking that, you know, having regret about a choice that you made um, can have obviously quite negative um, psychological effects and I guess also derail your adherence or your engagement with treatment. So I think another thing too is that there can also sometimes be this concern that um, providing people with information about the side effects of treatment or expressing uncertainty around which treatment option is best um, can actually be quite worrisome and quite anxiety provoking for people so We actually also compared the anxiety levels of people who had accessed the Decision Aid website versus those that hadn't, and we didn't find any differences there. So, um, importantly, receiving this information doesn't seem to be anxiety-provoking either.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, there definitely sounds like there were some really great findings there. And I think what was, yeah, kind of stuck out to me was the, you know, not having regrets about their treatment. Is that something that people with bipolar 2 usually... Does that usually occur for them having regrets?
1: I think in um although we didn't, I guess formally measure that in other stages of the research that I did, um it was something that uh, came up, I guess, um sort of anecdotally in some of the interviews that we were doing that people, had expressed regrets um, about the treatment that perhaps they'd been prescribed, perhaps they'd been prescribed medications that weren't in line with their preferences previously. Um, And I guess there was sometimes a resentment that perhaps they hadn't been properly informed about um, particular side effects or the particular... um, Uh, sort of just negative impacts that a particular medication might have on their life. And so uh, that was sort of certainly a theme that was coming through in the interviews.
0: Mm, Yeah, very interesting. Um, Yeah, it's good to see that that's really improved, yeah, their decision making. And I guess in terms of like wider implications and and helping people who, um, you know, in the real world have bipolar 2 disorder, how you know, what kind of implications could this have, do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the fact, um, importantly, this website is, uh, it is freely available. Um, It is publicly available, um, obviously, to people here in Australia, but also overseas. Um, And so we really think that it, um, the evidence that we have, at least certainly supports its potential for helping people to be more informed and more actively involved in making decisions about their treatment. Um, and I think sort of, we can feel reasonably confident in this because we did um, go to great lengths to develop the decision aid with real um, real life end users um, in mind. And so we did involve people with lived experience um, at every step of the development and the evaluation process. and. This was not only in terms of participants, obviously, but also getting people to advise on what sort of information they want, um, how they want this information to be presented and how we can actually best support people to make informed choices.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And so I guess continuing on from, from this research, are you, are you still doing research in this space with, with bipolar disorder or are you looking into other areas at the moment? Uh, so I haven't
1: um, considered the. I haven't sort of expanded further on uh, my work in bipolar. Um, I've I've moved on more to I guess uh, looking at um, decision support tools within the context of co-occurring um, conditions. So. Uh, for example I've just finished and we're just about to start piloting a decision aid for people that have co-occurring depression and alcohol use issues
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and just because there can sometimes be different considerations um, compared to if someone has depression as a standalone condition or alcohol use disorder as a standalone condition um, and really I guess the need to Uh, take an integrated approach and to tackle these conditions together in treatment so um, again deciding what are people's priorities and needs for treatment at the time
0: yeah great yeah it certainly sounds like an interesting area and there's so much that you can do with that and and I guess so many different mental health problems that you know might benefit from having a decision aid so Um, yeah that's great yeah. yeah Um, so I guess for anyone listening who may be struggling with bipolar 2 disorder, where might they access this website and do you have any other tips that might be helpful for them? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so, uh, good question. So as I mentioned earlier, the website is freely available. Um, it's hosted by the black dog Institute at the moment. Um, and you can find it via the URL, www.bipolardecisionaid.com.au, um, or alternatively, you can just Google bipolar decision aid and it will come up in your search results. Um. I think in terms of some tips for using the decision aid, um, I think it's important for users to keep in mind that this is just one resource for helping them to make a decision about their treatment. Um, It's a starting point, it's a conversation starter, um, and that really it's designed to be used in conjunction with discussions that they're having with their clinician as well as other important people in their life, such as their partner or their family or friends. Um, And I think another thing um, which, people at least in the qualitative interviews um, told us is that decision making about treatment isn't a discrete time point, it really is an ongoing process um, and that quite often decisions about treatment are revisited and revised um, based on how someone might respond to treatment or any changes um, in their life circumstances or symptoms. Um, So I would encourage people to use this resource flexibly um, and to access the website and use um, sections of the resource that are relevant to them at a particular point and that it may uh, be useful obviously for people who need that additional support when they're newly diagnosed, but also likewise um, we've been told it's useful by people who have a longer standing diagnosis as well.
0: well thank you for those tips i'm sure they'd be very helpful for yeah anyone who is you know experiencing that and and might want to use that website so yeah Mm -hmm. excellent um you might already know that most of our funding comes straight from rotary clubs and districts in australia who are out there in the community raising money to make a difference to mental health Uh, could you explain how their donations may have personally helped you in your research career yeah, um, I think quite immensely in from a career point of view.
1: Um, so I think receiving this grant um, gave me the opportunity, while still being a PhD student, to be a lead co-investigator um, on a competitively funded project, um, and also allow my decision A that I developed as part of my decision A as part of my PhD to be um, rigorously evaluated and ultimately be widely available for people in the Australian community. Um, And I think also receiving this grant so early on in my academic career um, has set me up to be competitive as an early career researcher. And I definitely credit it with later successes that I've had in my career, um, such as uh, obtaining a research fellowship now to do my own project yeah yeah
0: well, that's great to hear like i, I know our Rotarians always like to hear you know the real impacts and you know that their funding is made on people's lives and so yeah, yeah. That, that's really great and and i can see that um their funding has really gone towards something worthwhile in, in terms of helping real people as well so yeah that's excellent um I guess, you know, just one last question. How important do you think it is that we continue to support mental health research, particularly into bipolar disorder? Mm.
1: Um, Well, I think that um, affective disorders, which obviously include depression, but also include bipolar disorders um, are amongst the most costly and burdensome mental health conditions. And much of that burden is carried by people um, in the peak of their lives so both young people and people when they're young adults and emerging adults Um, and I think that mental health research helps us to better understand what is needed and what works and why um, and this can actually be useful in preventing people both individual consumers as well as people in government from investing their time and their energy and their money into things that do not work, um, or may actually produce negative effects or harms. Um, so. I think that mental health research is also um, a good investment. I have come across statistics saying that every uh, dollar which is invested in mental health care um, produces up to $65 in savings in terms of reduced leave and absenteeism. And I think with all that said, we need uh, mental health research in the first place so that we can make informed choices about where and how this dollar is spent in the first place.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I, yeah, it's really good, good to kind of have that. The, the way that you just explained that, yeah, every dollar for you know having sixty something, sixty-five dollars in savings, sixty-five dollars, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, it's good to kind of have it put that way. I'm sure that'd be yeah really helpful for Rotarians to know. So um, yeah, thank you so much again, Alana, for joining me on our podcast today. And um, I guess before we wrap up, was there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: Um, I think uh, the only thing that I guess I'd want to make our um, listeners aware of is that when they're thinking about and seeking treatment for their own mental health concerns, um, that they often have a choice of evidence-based options available to them and that the decision about which one's right for them should incorporate not only the clinician's expertise, um, but also their own expertise as someone who has knowledge of what is important to them, what matters to them, and what are the potential impacts that treatment's going to have on their life. And I think that in this way, it's, it's sort of empowering and to know that really there are two experts in the room when you're sitting down to make a decision about treatment
0: yeah oh excellent well I'll definitely put that website link um, in the show notes so that if anyone is interested they can always click on that and yeah have a look through so yeah well thank you so much again it's yeah it's been really thanks. great to talk to you It's been great to join you today thanks thank you That was the 32nd episode of our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. It's always so inspiring to hear what researchers in Australia are doing to make a difference to mental health and how they are helping us on our mission to lift the lid on mental illness. If you can, please support important mental health research like Alana's by donating on the Australian Rotary Health website. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.